Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Film Disruptors. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is a show about the artists and entrepreneurs redefining storytelling and sharing their insights and strategies with you. And I am delighted to welcome Glenn Basner to the show. Glenn is founder and CEO of Film Nation Entertainment, which has established itself as one of the most influential film players as a thriving international sales company and increasingly an innovative financier and production company with titles under its belt like Arrival, The Big Sick and the forthcoming A Personal History of David Copperfield by Armando Iannucci. Glenn and I met at this year's Berlinale and have a wide-ranging conversation that covers, of course, the international film market but also industry diversity, Film Nation's decade-long journey, and Glenn's very interesting take on why the industry might be broken and why this is not necessarily a bad thing. This episode was recorded live at this year's Berlin Film Festival at the Film Tech Monthly Meetup, and it's brought to you in collaboration with some very special partners. Film Tech Office, the Propeller Film Tech Hub, and... EFM Horizon. Film Tech Office is a new shared working space for creatives and entrepreneurs in film, storytelling and tech. It's opening in April in Berlin, which is obviously an important piece of information. But check out filmtechoffice.com to find out more about this exciting new space. Propeller Film Tech Hub is a pan European initiative, exploring the development of new business models for the production, distribution and experience of film. You can find out more details on this groundbreaking program at propellerfilmtech.com, that's propeller with an O. And lastly, EFM Horizon is the innovation platform for the European film market. It provides a five-day program of future-orientated industry talks, keynotes, roundtable formats, networking. I attended a bunch of these at this year's Berlinale. The caliber was very high and it's really progressive to see an international film festival taking such a lead in this space. As anyone listening to this show for a while will know, the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about. And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I'd love to hear from you. Please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And now I'm going to hand you over to Film Nation's Glenn Basner. And I started the show by asking Glenn how Berlin 2018 had been going for him and Film Nation. Well, even before Sundance, the American film market was very quiet business-wise as well. So I think people were starting up the new year 
asking ourselves that very same question. Um, we spent the last five days meeting with distributors around the world. It's basically every half hour there's another distributor, another meeting talking about mostly the same films. Um, and I, I was really pleasantly surprised that uh, business was quite strong um, and our customer base, independent distributors around the world, were here to buy. Um, I think the fundamental reason is that with all of the change that has been going on for the past at least several years, um, I think that the people creating feature films and bringing them to market are starting to catch up a little bit. Uh, and there's two key components to that. First is, of course, bringing films that feel like theatrical titles. Uh, a film that may have been a great theatrical proposition two years ago may not make sense to be released theatrically in today's day and age. But because it takes us you know, 12 to 24 months to make the film and then deliver it into the market, we have a lag. Um, I feel, not just with our films, but with the other uh, sales companies' films, that uh, there was uh, some exciting films out there and clear theatrical propositions. Um, the other aspect to that is just everybody doing the work to understand what the value is of each individual film country by country. And as changes happened uh, internationally over the last two years, most of that has been a reducing the value of the film in each territory. Um, and it takes us a while since we're a step removed from each of the markets to catch up to uh, the correct price and maybe some pricing stability uh, as well. So it was, a, it was a really good five days. This year, is a, is, it marks a, uh, a very notable anniversary. It's, it's 10 years since Film Nation began. Yeah. Uh, so in 2008, I can't imagine that was the, the most optimistic time to, to, to start a new venture. I mean, what was you, you, wow. you launched it right after the, the, the financial crash. Well, we launched right before, which before. is even worse. Okay. Even worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, let's just put on the positive side, it certainly prepared us for this period where there is a lot of change. Um, because we started and you, know, you create a business plan and you raise money and you start your business and then two months later, your entire business plan makes no sense whatsoever and you kind of have to start from scratch and figure it all out. Um, and that requirement to sort of rewrite your business plan every single day and adapt and adjust and try and figure things out. Um, it was incredibly scary, of course, but it sort of built that into the DNA of the company. And even when things did settle down, it's always something that's going on. We're always looking at how are we doing something differently? How do we bring new voices into the mix? Um, what can we do I don't think we look at it to disrupt, per se, but how do we improve? How do we service a filmmaker better? How do we service an uh, international distributor better? And that kind of, when, when things really started to change dramatically in the international marketplace, we, we were prepared just how we went about figuring it out. The questions are, would we figure it out correctly? Um, and I think we are, but that, that was the big benefit of going through that period. Uh, when, when you say things changed a lot in the international marketplace, is that what you're talking about quite recently? I'm talking quite recently with technology moving in and uh, the home entertainment market changing, um, and now the theatrical marketplace changing. 
just to jump back to 2008 briefly, I mean, uh, you know, was setting up your own venture something you was inevitable? Was that something you always, you know? I, I think so. I think so. But there was there was a reason for it at that time. Um, the two most prominent American independent sales companies that weren't connected to a U.S. distributor uh, were Summit and a company called Mandate. Summit became a U.S. distributor, and then Mandate got bought by Lionsgate and became part of Lionsgate. And so I felt there was a, a space for another non-U.S. distribution-affiliated third-party sales company. Yeah. And so, you know, look, looking, looking back, I mean, you see, started as purely an international sales company. And is that fair to say that's still the primary focus of Film Nation, or, or has, has that? I, I don't know that it's the primary focus. It's still a core part of our business. Um, when we started, it wasn't always just to be an international sales company, but we thought that it would be a great platform um, to continue to evolve as a company as we went on. Um, and we did um, earlier than people imagine in terms of production. We started slowly and quietly moving into development. And as we had access to films, producing those movies um, so that we could be delivering better quality content and generating higher fees for ourselves. So that started early. Um, the problem was that it was at my direction, and I had never really worked in production before. I had really worked in sales distribution, so I would see, uh, identify a film and say, I could sell that, why can't you go make that? Um, and the production group uh, would always jump on board because they were team players, um, but they would always explain to me that, you know, maybe we should focus in on really where our core tastes um, lie. And, uh, it took a movie that we made called Mud, which if you made a, a, a list of all the things that weren't good for international sales, it would have two thirds of the things checked off. Um, but it was just great and we thought it was great. So we jumped in um, and it wasn't a surprise that that was the best movie by far that we had produced to that point. And it was a, a, a light bulb moment for me to accept that we would produce what we really understood, what we really believed and knew we could make great. Um, and if we didn't believe that, then maybe we should just be pairing up with a producer who maybe understands that type of material better and we would stick to the international sales component of it. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I feel like you're sort of trying to sort of battle your, your instinctive distribution and sales instincts. Is, is, that, is that sort of something you have to feel like you have to rein back? Because that's sort of, you know, it's always that interesting balance, isn't it? You know, for, for people, particularly who've come from a distribution background, I know what will work with audiences, but you're saying that you have to kind of uh, generate a, your own taste and your own sensibility in-house. I think it's just, you can be great at distributing a lot of different films. You need to understand uh, the film and the audience to a, a certain level. But to actually produce and create the film, you have to understand it, I believe, to far greater depths. Um, and if you don't, it makes an already impossible task of making a great movie that much harder. I think it also is kind of part, I always look at it as you know, starting from a kid and starting to grow up. Um, 
in the beginning, maybe I wasn't so comfortable being defined as we did this type of film or that type of film because I saw it as limiting and I needed movies. Um, and I like to distribute lots of different type of movies. Um, so I didn't want to be pigeonholed. Um, what I learned was, in fact, it was worse than being pigeonholed. Uh, filmmakers, writers, agents didn't understand us at all, so they weren't submitting us the best stuff because they weren't thinking of us. Right. So it's establishing a brand identity on the, on the production side. Absolutely. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with Glenn Basner of Film Nation. And in this section, I talk to Glenn about his move into TV and whether he felt any pressure to push the company in that direction. No, I felt a lot of pressure internally from people at the company. It became a... Every, uh, it seemed like every independent film company was jumping into TV because there were all of these sales and transactions going on. Um, and it sounded exciting, but that was not how we built Film Nation. We built it on looking at every film and trying to make great signature feature films. And it was the success of those movies that propelled the company, not the business idea, not how much or how little money we were making. And so the idea that there was great business in television, um, that for me wasn't the starting point. Um, actually, why people started to race towards um, television, we quickly did a fundraise and we not doubled down, we tripled down on feature film um, and they're investing uh, we're investing more in film this year by far than we have in any year. So that was the first instinct was if people are looking at doing other things, we were going to go further, we were going to be bolder, and we were going to invest deeper into feature film. Simultaneously, though, we did start to watch a lot of television and see what was going on out there. And not at the outset, but eventually, there was a little bit more of a creative overlap between what we believe we're good at and the types of shows that were becoming on television. Uh, I remember True Detective was really the first show that I had watched that I didn't just say this was great, but I said this was great, and boy, I wish, I wish we got to be a part of telling that story um, and telling it that way. Um, so our approach was really just to, like we did with film production, is just quietly start to acquire some IP and start to develop um, and just look to make our brand of signature television. How would you characterize a Film Nation story? I, I would say that Film Nation stories are character and story driven, more so than conceit driven, um, and that there is some identifiable component to it that elevates the material from being just completely broad. Um, and commercial. Um, and I say that that's not to ridicule broad and commercial. Um, I just don't think we understand it well enough to go do that well. So we'll stick to more specialized um, fare um, and work really hard to make sure that it's good enough that it can be commercial. I, I, I use Arrival, which was a movie that we 
Uh, we're a producer on, we co-financed, and we sold internationally. It's the perfect uh, combination of, it's an alien invasion movie starring Amy Adams, but it's this really complex, circular family drama about a mother who has to make this unbelievably hard choice. So we love that part of it, but we also love that we could package it into something bigger so that more people would go see it. Wonderful film. Uh, so, coming back to this, uh, this, this recent correction in the market, maybe you could call it, or, or, or um, you know, uh, adjustment in the international market you were referring to, uh, with prices presumably dropping and less sales. You said there were two main causes of that, is digital, new digital players mm-hmm. and changes in the theatrical market. Uh, so I mean, t- yeah, let's talk about, um, let's talk about, you know, the digital <coughs> players, Netflix and Amazon. I mean, you've partnered with Amazon, right, on, on, on production, but there's two sides to that. Well, we haven't partnered with them on production, oh, okay. but, uh, but we do a lot with Amazon. We like them very much. First off, Amazon is different than Netflix in that Amazon um, is investing in the traditional theatrical window, whereas Netflix wants their content to go directly to their platform uh, from the start, from the outset. Um, We started with Amazon when they started to produce and finance their own movies, uh, and they hired us to handle international sales on their films, which we've now done for a couple of years. Um, And that was the start of the relationship and is a, you know, important component to our international sales business at this point. Um, Additionally, uh, we had financed uh, and made a film called The Big Sick with Judd Apatow and we brought it to Sundance and they had won the film, the US distribution rights at a bidding war. So they were a supplier to me uh, and then we became a supplier back to their US distribution um, and uh, did a very nice job with the movie and now have just bought another movie from us this past December called Life Itself. So it's, it's healthy that a relationship goes both ways. Um, they're delivering content for us to uh, sell and distribute internationally. We're doing the job for them. And then vice versa, if we make a film that they like, um, they're a great partner for us in the US. Um, but in, on sort of an international basis, you know, how, how is, you know, more generally, how has Amazon, or, or you know, maybe more specifically Netflix, impacted the business uh, you know, by, for example, acquiring all international rights mm-hmm. to, to, to a project? It's, it's probably a whole nother hour to talk about it, but here, here are some basic yeah. things. First off, Netflix competes with us independent film companies dramatically at the very beginning. They are taking and financing and buying movies for the world. Um, many of which we would have had uh, in our business um, to go out and finance and produce and sell. So that's a negative. Uh, A positive is they are buying a lot of content uh, internationally and territorially from from companies like Film Nation and additionally from our customers. So for instance, in the UK, where there used to be one pay service, which was Sky, which bought almost entirely just the uh, studio movies. When Amazon was Love Film before, Amazon and Netflix have now come in and they're the SVOD, but pay TV 
uh, acquirer of our films from the theatrical um, distributors. And so that's added a lot of, um, a lot of revenue into all of our businesses and, and made them healthy. The, the change that we're starting to understand is as there is so much content available anywhere at any time on demand and subscription on demand is how is that impacting people's viewing habits for feature films? Uh, will they go to the movie theater anymore? Uh, if yes, will they go to see the same type of films that they used to see or will that start to change? Um, I think that's been, that's been where we focus most of our time in trying to understand because our business is still a theatrical business. Um, how, which films can be theatrical in a year from now, um, and which films could still be great, but maybe shouldn't be theatrical. Mm. And we still want to make those movies, but maybe we should make that movie with a, a partner like, like Netflix. And yeah, so I guess all the time you're getting feedback from different territories, different companies about the, the theatrical market, what's, what's going on in their territory. And your, your, your concern is that the theatrical market for the kind of movies you make, the kind of movies we all enjoy at festivals like this, is, is diminishing or is under threat. I don't see it that way. I just see it as changing. Yeah. Um, I see it as opportunity. It's changing. We know that it's the number of films that are succeeding theatrically are starting to shrink. But at the same time, the ones that are succeeding are succeeding to further levels than they have before. I'll give you an example now in kind of the Academy race in the second half of last year in the United States. If you made a specialty film uh, in the past and it grossed between, you know, got in the Academy race, you would gross between 20 and $30 million, and $30 million was a great success. I believe that's what Moonlight, uh, which won the best picture, grossed last year. Um, this year, our movie Big Sick, Lady Bird, um, Shape of Water, Three Billboards, Darkest Hour, these are 45 to $60 million grocers. And it's not just the one you know, outlier, it's all of them. Um, and I think that to me is where I know the challenge and the bar is higher for success, but if I can deliver a film that can succeed, I can go farther um, economically as well. And getting awards recognition is a key part of that. Um, it's, it's not the only key part of it, but it is a way to give films that aren't just broad commercial sales a profile, a stamp of approval, um, and it definitely drives people to the box office. Mm. So, I, I, yeah, I, feel, I, I still feel that there's a, 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 missing, <laughs> a missing piece about, uh, about, about the impact of the, you know, the, the digital giants and, what they're, uh, and how they've impacted things. I mean, as a, for, I guess looking back at the, as an international sales company, have you had pushback on the, the function of an international sales company when, when, when the number of, on, on some films, some titles, the number of individual deals are, are maybe just two. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a US distributor and, a, and then an international. 
Yeah, just be interesting to get your perspective on that as a, in, in your position. It's going to sound very self-serving, but yeah, we hear that. Do we need to bring an international sales company on earlier? Maybe they're not needed because we can do a worldwide deal. Um, most of the people say that are the agencies who sell the US and want to sell the world so they can feed the world. Um, it is harder to do what we do now than at any time in my career. We have to be so much more sophisticated in our approach. Um, my argument is that not all sales agents are as important these days, but the best are more important than ever because if you want to sell to the world and you want to drive, remember you've sold it to the world, there's, everything is crossed. You've limited your upside most likely. Um, you want to drive the best deal. Well, at least if they want to buy the world and we're selling international, we're going out there and we're driving the best deal because we're creating options. Um, you want the world, you're gonna have to pay because oh, there goes the UK, we just sold it. Um, it puts pressure on that acquisition um, in a way that creates a lot of value. That's a, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Very self-serving. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with Glenn Basner of Film Nation, recorded live at this year's Berlinale Film Festival. And in this section, I put to Glenn the question of diversity and gender imbalance in the industry in front of a camera and behind the camera, and how he sees that being addressed and what Film Nation are doing to tackle it. I was invited to uh, this new group, uh, which is called Reframe. This was last, uh, almost a year ago. And it was about specifically about gender parity, and it was getting a bunch of um, film and television executives to talk and learn about it. Uh, and now has become uh, a movement to try and educate um, our community to improve. Um, for us at Film Nation, the best thing that we can do as a 36-person company is just to start taking action. So we're very excited. We have uh, Jennifer Kent directing a movie for us, um, Veronica Franz directing a movie for us, um, Nisha Ganatra directing a film for us this April. Um, that's the best thing we can do, is just to say, let's just go find good movies and let's put a focus in on whether it's hiring um, a female director or on this movie Late Night that we're doing with Nisha Ganatra, Mindy Kaling, and Emma Thompson. Um, almost all the heads of departments are also women. And that's not a reason to make a movie. Um, I can't afford to invest money just to do that, um, but I think it's gonna make a better movie. Um, I believe we're going to have, as we start to do it as a company, different perspectives and different voices that's going to help us find fresher stories um, to further differentiate what we're trying to offer. Um, internally at, at the company, it's also something that um, we felt we needed to look at, and there is, not, there's a combination of staff and management have created a diversity group um, and they're charged with coming up with 
strategy um, and rules for how we're going to start to behave as a company. And it's, it's pretty exciting. Sam right here. Stand up, Sam. Uh, <laughs> head of the diversity committee. Um, but I, I think mostly it's just, I believe it's good for our business yep. to have different voices. Um, I know we need to do a better job of it. And instead of trying to solve the problem, we're just going to keep taking steps forward to get better. And hopefully not have to have a conversation like this in mm. the near future. I mean, it, it, it seems to me like it's a, it's a big opportunity. And do you, do you get that feedback at all from the people, you know, the, the buyers? Are, is there, is there a, an appetite for more, you know, more female-centered movies? I mean, I don't know what it means to be female-centered movies. Sure. We, we've always done, our movies have always skewed female demographically. Um, I don't think that anyone who bought Late Night from us this past week or wanted to buy it really cared um, that Nisha is a woman um, and not a man directing it. Um, I do think they cared that it was a story written by a woman that was at its heart about women in the workplace, um, was really funny and really relatable, and they saw a clear audience for it as well. Um, and I think that's what drove them. It's an added plus, I would say, um, because when they're talking about the movie, um, they'll be able to highlight that and people will write about it. And I think it will be attractive to some people if the movie's good. You're listening to Film Disruptors with me, Alex Stoltz. And to receive new episodes as soon as they are released, subscribe on iTunes. Or you can sign up to our email list at alexstoltz.com. Things obviously have uh, have changed a lot since 2008, and there's been a lot of disruption. I mean, the, uh, the emergence of TV, which we've we've touched on, and the just the sheer amount of time that consumers are spent watching these great often often you know fantastic stories you know really well made and that coupled with this you know the the, the other pressures we talked about on the industry uh, you know and the and the emergence of these big digital platforms i mean how you know there's been talk of the independent film model breaking and uh, or, or maybe it's already broken and do you, how how would you respond to that comment I mean, that's, we get asked that, you know, by people a lot. Um, it is breaking, but it's breaking into pieces, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. And what I mean by that is the traditional independent model where we would have a film, we'd go pre-sell country by country by country, that, then all of those contracts would then go to a bank, and then there'd be an equity investor, and we'd go and make the movie. Um, that model still exists but for far fewer films than it used to. Um, but it's not the only model. And now, instead of having one model, you know, we have 10, 15, 20 different models. Um, and our approach is not to worry so much, does a film fit this model, but 
say, do we think this film makes sense? Do we think it will be great and will people show up in a theater? If the answer to those questions is yes, then let's construct a bespoke model for this specific film and maybe it'll work on another film in the future, but every time out we have to create a new model. We're talking before about this past week. It's the perfect example from, from our company of it. We had three new films to sell. One, we were selling on behalf of Amazon Studios, so a SVOD platform that's worldwide. We were selling a movie for them. Another movie, we sold all of International, essentially, in two different blocks. Part to a studio, part to a major multi-territory independent, and that was the two sales. The third film lent itself more to the traditional model of going to independent distributors country by country, and selling them off that way. Each film was different. We didn't know, well, we knew the Amazon film was Amazon because they made it, they're making it. We didn't know coming into the market exactly how the other two films would sell. We're just creating as much flexibility as possible to make sure the film can get made and could get, once it is made, get distributed in the best possible way. What are the, what are the biggest challenges on the horizon for you as a, as a company in the next three to five years? I think it's, you know, you mentioned we're going to be 10 years old this summer. It, it feels like a natural time to think strategically about, well, how does the company continue to evolve so that in, you know, 10 years later, we're not exactly the same thing. Um, and since I started out in the film business and in film distribution, the first 10 years was a very natural Evolution was exercising my taste, uh, our skill sets, and it was in feature film, now into television um, and storytelling. Uh, this is a little bit of a different type of uh, mental challenge and to think more like a business person um, and a business person that understands our company culture and our process where, uh, for how we have success. So I think that's the the newest thing that has me not sleeping at night. <laughs> and that, that sounds to me as if you're, you, you, you're considering more diversification in terms of the, the yeah. formats you, you, you look at. I, I think as a starting point, we relate to television, but we're enjoying what we're doing in television and saying, well, what other forms of stories do we want to be involved in? We're a producer and investor in our first Broadway show called The Band's Visit, um, which is playing right now. And that's been a, a really nice experience and is the rare Broadway musical that I think matches up perfectly with our brand. Based on the music. Based on the film. Yeah. yeah. Um, so things like that. How do we extend what we enjoy doing and what we think we're good at? Um, outside of just film and television. Which makes complete sense, but you still believe in film. I mean, it's hard not to when it's in, it's in the name of your, your, your company, but it's something which, you know, I, I, I think we need to all wrestle with, really, is, uh, I certainly, well, I, I do anyway, maybe it's because I'm, I'm sad, but you think about what, what's so important about film. Why is film so, you know, we, we have it on this, this pedestal. We've all come here to the Berlinale to celebrate film, but what is it, defining it, what is it that it can do that all of these other art forms can't? And I think it's, it's good to keep 
well, questioning that. I, I love the fact that it, each film is its own individual event and is like a cultural touchstone in a moment. The way that a television series, even a great one, can't do the same way because it repeats and it's episodic. Um, I personally still, I believe in the theatrical experience, even if I realize it's changing. Um, but there is something unique about going into a big dark room with strangers and the communal sharing of whatever emotions are coming from that particular film. Um, and one of the things that I'm most excited about is uh, in New York City, we haven't had the best movie theaters, but it started to change in the last two, three years. And um, theater chains like IPIC and Alamo Draft House are really changing the movie-going experience. Um, and I'm happy to pay a lot more for it. I can have a cocktail while I watch the movie. The seat is comfortable. Um, I can reserve my seat. And I think that is, all of this pressure on theatrical is changing what the exhibitors have to do and are starting to do. Um, and I think that also will create excitement um, for people who still want to go to the movie theaters um, and are, in fact, still going to the movie theaters. So, so you're optimistic about the future? And completely scared, yeah. <laughs> a balance. <laughs> the, the, the entrepreneurs, you know, balancing that. Um, so Glenn, I have a, a final uh, question. It's a question I ask all of my guests on uh, film disruptors. And it's what would be, what, what is your advice to emerging storytellers, someone who's starting out, wants to, wants to create, wants to tell a story, new to the business, what, would you, what advice would you impart? Well, we, we've talked a bit about tonight how film companies are making television, we're looking at short form content, one of the great things is that it used to be really structured where if you were making feature film, writing or directing, then that's what you were doing and that's only what you're doing. Now, you can do anything and we're all looking at the other forms to find uh, the next bit of talent to come in. So, if you have a story to tell and it's not meant for a feature film but you want to be a feature film director, Go tell that story great. It is a pathway to be making a feature film, and making a feature film could be a pathway to be directing commercials. Um, go and make your story and tell your story um, in the best format that it is, and use it as a calling card. Um, and you don't have to feel limited uh, like maybe you ha would have been five years ago. I think that's a, a great place to end it tonight. Uh, so I'd like to thank Glenn Basner. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. So that was Glenn Basner of Film Nation in interview recorded live at this year's Berlinale. If you want to find out more about Film Disruptors, listen to other episodes or get in touch, please visit www.alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. Just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. Mm -hmm.